Mako, we didn't even look that different. He's still juggling. Yeah, he who, looked, who looked the hottest? Oh. Tell us what you really. <laughs> Wait, is this done? Yes. Oh. <laughs> Got him again, yeah. listeners. Okay. No, but literally, tell us what. Well, we're talking who? about Beauty and the Geek, and we're just talking about the makeovers. And yeah, unpopular opinion, but probably the Asian guy. <laughs> Why? What was his name? Oh, I don't know his name. I didn't watch too much of it. Tom. He was really into Tom, trains. the Asian guy. He should have won. He liked trains. He did win. Yeah, he did win. He did. How much you win? His girlfriend. <laughs> Probably. Isn't that the whole point of the show? getting the kids. That's true. Radio. Because we haven't all watched the Beauty in the Geek final, we can't talk about that for half an hour. So we're going to talk about something that we do all know about, which is how did the Cold War end? Today we're going to be having a look at another essay, which is going to be focusing on to what extent were US attitudes, so this is under Reagan, and policies under Gorbachev as the leader of the Soviet Union, responsible for the end of the Cold War. So we don't want to come down black and white on this particular issue. We want to balance the two. So how did they work together, both the Americans and the Soviets in the collapse of the Soviet Union, which ended the Cold War in 1991? So to kick off, Jaden's going to be reading through the first paragraph and then we're gonna have a bit of a chat about it. So take it away, Jade. Okay, so while the Soviet Union's, oh, Soviet Union's attitudes and policies under Mikhail Gorbachev were a significant influence on ending the Cold War, it was in fact a simultaneous culmination of a number of factors that led to the Cold War ending in 1991. Gorbachev's recognition of the growing economic cost of the Cold War induced by the end of the preceding period of Dayton and renewed Cold War tensions, compelled him to implement extensive reforms, signifying the failure of the Soviet system. Furthermore, Gorbachev's rejection of the Brezhnev doctrine, doctrine sorry, and engagement with the West enabled a swift end to the Cold War. However, Reagan's policies and attitudes towards the Soviet Union also played a significant role in ending the Cold War, with his rhetoric evolving from bellicose relations with the Soviet Union between 1980 to 85 to engagement with the Kremlin between 85 to 91. Therefore, the Cold War ended due to the simultaneous impacts of a number of different factors in addition to Soviet attitudes and policies under Gorbachev. Okay, we need to unpack that intro because it's the menu. So, questions. Any words in there that were like, what the, what does that mean? Simultaneous culmination of a number of factors. What does that mean by culmination? Mm. Anybody want to take that? Yeah, I didn't have an idea either. <laughs> so what does simultaneous mean? Like at the same time. Yeah, so a simultaneous culmination, meaning like coming together. Right. So what it's suggesting, well, another way of saying it is a lot of important things happened at the same time. It's just a fancy way of saying that. So other questions? Uh, bellicose. Bellicose. I had, to, I had to Google that as well. Yeah. <laughs> so it's saying that Reagan went from being bellicose, which means willing to fight. So his rhetoric went from calling the Soviet Union the evil empire that he wanted to destroy and fight in space 
to being all buddy buddy with Gorbachev. So it went through this it went through this this story arc, okay, of like we're gonna fight you to oh actually you wanna work with us? Okay, we're gonna take that opportunity. Other questions. What's the Brezhnev doctrine? Hmm. That is a question. <laughs> It says that Gorbachev didn't like the Brezhnev doctrine. I'll ask this. What war did Brezhnev start and then got the Soviet Union into a lot of trouble? Setting in Afghanistan. Yeah, the Afghan war. Brezhnev doctrine is the Soviets' willingness to use military force to maintain the Soviet Union. That we will send tanks to support our political parties in Ukraine, in Afghanistan, wherever they need to go at our own expense and in the lives of our own men in order to keep this whole big behemoth together. Gorbachev comes in and he's like, this is bankrupting the country. So we can no longer keep this doctrine up. All these places are by themselves, but we still expect them to stay in the Soviet Union, but yet they've got to pay for their own defence, which doesn't work out very well. Any other questions about that intro, or do we want to tackle the first paragraph? Mm. Who's got the first paragraph? Ah, oh, yeah, the next one, yeah. Ben's got the first paragraph? Rightio, so let's move on to our first paragraph. The early 1980s was a period of weak so Soviet leadership. Upon Gorbachev's accession to power, he inherited immense domestic problems with the economy shrinking to approximately half the size to that of the United States. From eight, uh, 1985, Soviet dependence on oil reserves that had supported the Soviet economy, uh, economy had vanished. Regardless of its nuclear weaponry and space technology, the Soviet Union in many ways resembled a developing country with living standards, low life, uh, low life expectancy declining. Thus Gorbachev immediately commenced reorganization of the Soviet uh, economy with his pol uh, policies and of glasnost and perestroika. Part of the four-year program designed to increase the efficiency of, and productivity of the Soviet economy to reform a progress that would inevitably lead to a reduction in military spending. Gorbachev envisioned a glasnost or openness of society, believing that a public discussion of the Soviet Union's economic and social crises would lead to perestroika. However, within a short period of the Soviet uh, short period, the Soviet citizens interpreted this openness to include criticisms of Soviet political uh, history and its leaders, sparking debate about the nature of communism. As Applebaum would later state, his intention was always to reform and modernize the Soviet Union, not to destroy it. Thus, by highlighting the fa failures of the Soviet system, the ideological component of the world, uh, Cold War was removed as the dysfunctional nature of the communist system became clear. Okay, so Gorbachev's been given a hospital pass from Brezhnev 
the Afghan war still going on and the economy, as it said, what what's the bit of evidence they've used to describe how poorly the economy's doing in the opening bit? The United States. Yeah. Half the size of the United States. So not even close to competing. Military, good. Everything else, you're on the development list. Pretty much the same as Russia is today. When we have a look at the policies, it says that Glashnov is about openness. And this might be familiar when we're looking at Tsar Nicholas II. That's one of his game plans too. Glashnov, a bit more openness. He's hoping this leads to perestroika. What's another word we could use for that? Or what? what's perestroika all about? Wasn't it like a political movement or something? With the intention of doing what? Wasn't it like restructuring or rearranging? Yeah, and what specifically? The government? Yeah. Like, yeah, 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 clearing out the rot of the government. So he's like, so part of it's like we need to open up and allow some discussion, less censorship, to identify the corruption and the rot in the economy and the government and then that will hopefully get the gears moving again without completely collapsing the whole system unfortunately it's like you give an inch the people take a mile and they don't just want to criticize after all of these decades their local party boss they want to go like after stalin's memory and lenin himself it's just like it's like now I want to have, I want to attack the entire idea. So that kind of gets away from Gorbachev because people are like, this is our chance to vent all of our frustration. And God, they had a lot of frustration. Uh, let's move on to the next paragraph. Who's got that? Me. Righto. So nice and loud into the mic. What is our next paragraph, Jack? Gorbachev's significant reforms, specifically his calls for Glasnost, greater freedom and openness, and Perestroika restructuring and reform, led to internal conflict and revolution with the Soviet Union. The greater freedoms and changes that Gorbachev's reforms provided were accompanied by Gorbachev's rejection of the Brezhnev Doctrine, claiming he would not use the military to maintain the Soviet Union. The result was what Briggs claimed, the domino theory in reverse. The Soviet states extracting themselves from the Soviet Union. These included Hungary, Poland and East Germany in 1989 and Lithuania, Uzbekistan and Ukraine in 1990. This internal collapse of the Soviet Union was a major factor in the end of the in ending the Cold War. However, Gorbachev's reforms also promoted a greater engagement with the West, which he himself carried out through his engagement. Similar to Reagan in summits, treaties and agreements related to disarmament, with Reagan and President Bush Sr, he negotiated and signed CFE, START 1 and the INF Treaty, reducing Cold War nuclear tension. The success of these was in large part due to Gorbachev himself being educated, open, and being willing to engage with the West in these discussions. Margaret Thatcher recognised that the West can do business with Gorbachev, 
A view mirrored by Reagan, thus Mikhail Gorbachev and his reforms had a considerable influence in ending the Cold War. Is there anything else we could have added to that paragraph in terms of describing how Gorbachev directly had an influence in the Soviet Union basically tearing itself apart? Or do we think it's pretty rock solid? I think it's pretty good. Is there anything else we could mention in there as an example of how his policies might have backfired or another example of the Soviet Union being under stress in this period of time? Something to do with... I, yeah. I remember, well, I watched the um, Chernobyl series and at the end of the show it described, well, not to describe it, it shows a quote from Gorbachev in like 2006 or something of um, him saying that basically the reason why uh, the Soviet Union collapsed and well, one of the biggest reasons was Chernobyl because they kept so many secrets and I can't remember the full details but it was like, yeah, it was just all about how they kept secrets from like workers and all that and pretty much the reason why Chernobyl happened because they just didn't do things right in the proper way. Yeah, and that's a really good point to make that that even though he was opening up and then people were taking that advantage and it was allowing these areas to break away and they're no longer sending the military in, here's an example of how the if they just stayed in the old system, that was not going to work either. You have the worst nuclear meltdown in all recorded human history at that point and all of these officials are like, oh, no, we can't ask for help. That would be really embarrassing. So we need to hush hush and like keep the story from getting out. And it just causes, well, anybody who could Google on YouTube Chernobyl now, it's just like totally deserted. And that's a result of not asking for help and reacting to it. But that's just not the Soviet style. Uh, let's move on to the next one, where we can bring in Ronald Reagan. So who's got the Ronald Reagan one? That's me. Jade's got Ronald Reagan. Radio. However, Ronald Reagan's foreign policies in relation to the Cold War were also a significant factor its eventual cessation. Reagan's election to office in 1981 resulted in a change in this US policy from pursuing detente to a renewal of the Cold War. Bellicose relations with the Soviet Union became the catchphrase of the early Reagan era, from 1981 to 1984, as particularly idealised through his labelling of the USSR as, quote, an evil empire. This was accompanied by a significant increase in military expenditure, with a total of US $1.7 trillion being spent between 1981 and 1985, under Reagan aiming to achieve peace through strength and hence delivered the knockout punch to a system on the ropes. This included the development of the Strategic Defense Initiative, or Star Wars program, which would protect the US from any nuclear assault, rendering Soviet nuclear arsenals obsolete, and allow new methods of attack for the US. Reagan's reforms generated suspicion and paranoia amongst aging leaders in Moscow, putting pressure on the Soviet system to respond. 
By initiating a new Cold War, Reagan forced a response from the Soviet Union to maintain strategic parity, an option which was not economically, politically or socially viable for the USSR and which subsequently would orchestrate its collapse. So, Reagan, do we think he's very clever in this assessment? Or, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to start with that. Do you think he's clever in assessing that the Soviets aren't going to be able to respond? Or do we think based on, you know, all the sort of stuff we've been studying, like think about the Cuban Missile Crisis, what they did and did not know about each other. Do you think it was just like lucky, convenient? Was Reagan perhaps maybe surprised that the Soviets weren't able to respond? I feel like that's what he was hoping for, that they wouldn't. And then when they actually did, probably a little bit shocked. And it's like, oh, wow, they actually, mm, actually did not respond. Yeah. And that's the key thing that we should take away into this is that Reagan is coming in and he doesn't know all the internal, like, rot indicators going on in the Soviet Union, okay? When they don't have the convenience of hindsight to be able to go back over and have a look through all the records and whatever. They just think the Soviets are just as powerful and as dominant and they're eating up all the propaganda and Reagan's coming in like, we've got to be tough again, we've got to militarise again, take it to them, take it to the evil empire and fight them in all these locations. And that's important because then when you get Gorbachev meeting Reagan and Gorbachev is basically a wet blanket in terms of the discussions, or just like so friendly and willing to help, it just takes Reagan completely off guard. It's just like, oh my gosh, here we go got to take this it was very lucky and convenient for the u.s let's move into the next one so what else does reagan do uh, who's got the next paragraph that's me too that's j2 brother additionally the transition of reagan's attitudes and policy to willing engagement with the soviet union was a factor causing the end of the cold war Post-1985, Reagan's willingness to partake in conferences, summits and treaties led to a diminishing in nuclear tension and a gradual decrease in military weaponry. This summit diplomacy was seen through Reagan's participation in discussions in Geneva in 1985, oh, Ray Kajavik in 1986 and the Washington Summit in 1987. Reagan not only engaged in these, but unlike any of his predecessors, predecessors, predecessors he negotiated on unilateral military reduction schemes between the Soviet Union and the US. These included the Intermediate Nuclear Forces INF Treaty, reducing arms arsenals by 4%, and Reagan's actions here led to the Future Conventional Forces in Europe Treaty, CFE, of 1990, reducing military forces in Europe and the Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty, Start 1, in 1991, the largest and most significant arms reduction treaty between the two nations. Thus, the US attitudes and policies under Reagan in willingly engaging in military negotiations with the Soviet Union resulted in reductions in military and nuclear strength by both sides. Subsequently, this reduced many of the tensions between the two nations that the Cold War had based upon, and thus a reduction in these indicated an end of the Cold War.
So this is a real clip to like the height of brinkmanship where we have that scene in 13 days and Robert Nakamura is yelling at the leader of the Navy and he's like, you don't understand this blockade. It's a new form of language where President Kennedy's trying to communicate with Gorbachev, which is insane. It's like they can't pick up the phone in the 60s, but now these summits just change it to something that we're more familiar with today. The countries are recognising each other. They're coming off the ledge. Um, they're going to the summits. They're using the UN and they're creating this more globalised world. And they're also realising that we can't build up our nuclear weapons forever and this increase in military strength is just completely unnecessary and dangerous. They find that common ground. So when writing this essay and responding to this question, we really want to remember the INF, the CFF, uh, the CFE, and the START one. Those are our key examples. And both of them were willing to, to, yeah, to meet on these issues. And if you didn't have the right leader, if you had, say, like a Stalin still involved, it's just it would have gone nowhere. So these two leaders need each other for this to happen. Who's got our conclusion? Yeah, I do. <laughs> All right, what's our conclusion, Jay? The end of the Cold War eventuated from the simultaneous culmination of a number of different factors. These include changes within the Soviet Union under Mikhail Gorbachev and reforms and U.S. attitudes and policies under President Ronald Reagan. Similarly, the increasing economic cost of the Gold War following the end of Dayton in 1979 also led the Soviet Union to attempt to end the tensions between the two superpowers to avoid an internal collapse. Thus, while Soviet attitudes and policies to the Cold War under Gorbachev had significant impact in ending the Cold War, it was, it was this factor as well as the simultaneous of others that led to the end of the conflict in 1991. Okay. So, if the question that we had at the beginning was not focused on Gorbachev or Reagan, because they're obviously the two most important factors, what other things, and it was good that we brought up Chernobyl, what other things might have been happening that you know wasn't about these two leaders the other stuff that would have led to the eventual collapse of the soviet union is there other things that could be talked about because it says to what extent you could have a whole paragraph if you had the time talking about other things that were completely unrelated to these two blokes that also led to the soviet union falling apart uh, great, um, great wall, the Berlin Wall. Yeah, Berlin Wall. What about that? Um, what, like explain it or? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. How does it factor in? Like, what about the Berlin Wall? Its collapse. Um, its collapse happens earlier than the collapse of the Soviet Union. So, how, like, what's going on there? Um, I remember that the collapse, or like the yeah, the collapse of the Berlin Wall. It was done mistakenly because a Russian official or like polit uh, political leader was speaking at one of like the summits or something, and I think he came out and was uh, trying to say that yeah they're going to open it the next day, but only for certain people or something like that. But he stuffed up like one of his notes and basically come out and said oh yeah it's open right now, so everyone just started flooding in and 
Yeah, I don't think anyone told the guard because they couldn't have, because it wasn't supposed to happen. So the guards just figured, well, I guess it's open. They just, they just kind of let it come through and yeah. people just tear down the wall. Yeah, I don't want to go to the gulag. So yeah, we'll open it up. Exactly, yeah. Berlin wall, just like serendipity, like mistake or luck or whatever you want to say. Didn't have anything to do with those two guys, but that led to it. Just people wanting it to happen. Which might have might be related to the Glashnov and the openness. Like if that wasn't happening, maybe the people in Berlin still might have been too worried to do that, but who knows? What else? Would the like war in Afghanistan had something to do with it? Because weren't they losing? Yeah, because of how much the US and other countries were helping the people of Afghanistan. Like they were just getting, uh, like for the amount of money that the Afghans were getting versus how much the Soviet Union were putting in, they weren't winning as much as they should have been. It's like the wasn't Afghanistan known as like the grave of empires or something like that. Yeah, exactly. That's a that's a really good one to bring up as well. That that whole conflict is just a quagmire, a quagmire like a like a swamp that the Soviets get stuck in. No, not like family guy. That's what you're thinking. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's stuck there, and it's something that Gorbachev inherits. So could you say it is or it isn't his fault? Like I mean, he doesn't pull out straight away. But that's probably a bit harsh because can he really, once a country's committed, um, he does eventually get out of there, but it's in disgrace like the way that the Americans left. Okay? It's good that you brought up saying it's the graveyard of empires. It will probably continue to be, and it will probably be for the Chinese as well. We've got to wait and see what happens with that. What else? What about technology, culture? Not something that we've talked about, but we could probably hazard a guess. I don't really think of anything about technology because I thought that they were kind of neck and neck in the military aspect of it, except for the. US's idea of putting stuff in space and shooting stuff out of the sky, I don't think they could have competed with that. Yeah, I was more thinking just like things like soft power, that as you allow a bit of openness, you might start letting some American movies, American McDonald's. There was this huge hubbub about, you know, once you let an American McDonald's into the Soviet Union, there goes communism. Because <laughs> because McDonald's is basically the poster child for capitalism, and just the Soviets would have had no idea what 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 that's all about. Just the super efficiency, cheap food, jobs, and just spreading like a like a cancer throughout the country. How would that work? The McDonald's and the communists. Well, that's the thing. It, it doesn't work. The, the Soviet Union had to change for that to be allowed. Um, even things like songs, music, that soft power, and once that American culture gets into a place that's super oppressed, it's just like they see kind of like the light or they see the different version. It's like people that send balloons with 
um, I hope this is appropriate, but people who send like um, pornography over into North Korea. You might just like, what is that? It's just like, you got this hermit kingdom with people who are just subjective in all this censorship that you have people in South Korea, and that's just one option, but just like magazines and movies and like all this sort of stuff. Just anything that's stimulating or culture, they send over in air balloons, hoping that the officials there don't confiscate it. That it's just that there's some poor Vietnamese farmer who, or not Vietnamese, North Korean farmer that finds this like movie or just like this contraband, that that's just enough to like spark a revolution. It's just, oh, what am I missing out of? It's like they don't get to use the internet, they don't get to buy whatever they want. So it's just that soft power can really change stuff as well. Um, is there anything else? The only other thing that I would say is perhaps the reverse flow of that is that once you get the openness, you get books like the books that we've talked about, the Gulag Archipelago. So at this time before the opening up, believe it or not, because of the censorship, because they're still not knowing what's going on and people assuming that, hey, the Soviet Union are just as powerful as the US, there are people in the US who are like, who are still open to the idea of maybe we should be copying what the Soviets are doing. Maybe we should go down that path. And then when you have authors who went through the gulag, who talked about the oppression, who talked about the torture, who talked about the forced confessions, your family being put away, your neighbours being put away, living in constant fear, and just that whole mechanism and monster that was created, and then that being written in a book, and that being allowed to be published, that also tears down the Soviet Union. Just the fact that that story is allowed to see the light of day, and then you have others that follow from that. So that's just another thing that you could talk about. It's got nothing to do with those two men. It's just the culture and people are smart. If they get the chance to figure it, figure it out, then they will, they will rise up and they will change it as well. Righty. Is there anything else anyone would like to add about this particular question before we wrap up? I think we did pretty good. I think we did pretty good. So if we were going to sum it up just as a starting point and you were going to come in and you saw this question and if the question was who played a bigger role, Gorbachev or Reagan, what would be the best way to approach the question? What's that Gorbachev? Simultaneous combination. Simultaneous combination. <laughs> yeah, it's coming back around. They both played pretty decent enough parts to do it themselves, like do it combined. Yeah, I was going to say, because if it was like, <clears throat> if Gorbachev wasn't so friendly and just like, yeah, let's sort this out, it wouldn't have really worked. But then saying that if Reagan wasn't so forward in like trying to be big and tough, then I guess Gorbachev maybe wouldn't have made the first move. 
Yeah, I feel like that's why it kind of worked. Yeah, I'm going Gorbachev because he didn't follow that same path that past leaders did. He actually wanted to like try to sort it out properly and so just war nukes. <laughs> yeah, and if you go down the one person path, you've obviously got to. There's nothing wrong about that, but you've got to be able to come in and argue that it's it doesn't hold a candle to the other side. It's obviously easier to argue that both bounce off each other and then you can obviously write a lot more about that because then you get to touch on both. Um, so, yeah, there's really three options you can do in this question. The simultaneous culmination option is the easiest one to do and is probably the most accepted. Rightio, we're going to sign off. Everybody say goodbye. See ya.